Hey everybody, how's it going? Yeah? Good. Uh, okay, so I need you to do one thing for me. I need you to put your hands up just like this, everybody. And I need you to get at least 10 high fives. Go get those high fives right now. Go do that. Come on, kids, lead the way. Tell it, show us how to do it. Show us how to do it. There we go. You guys are killing it. You know, you know, about a about a month ago, somebody's like, no, I'm at nine. I have to get ten. You OCD, some of you OCD type A people, yeah. Um, about a month ago, my wife came to me and she's like, uh, and she wasn't trying to be critical, she was, it's an observation. She was just like, you used to be fun. You're not like fun anymore, you're like you're really serious. And I was like, oh my gosh, I think I'm serious. Like I've gotten serious, I used to be really fun. But to be honest, like the pressure of all that's been going on in our lives over the last 10 years, our family's lives and things, it, and it's just been hard. And I, I was thinking about all of you and I was thinking like, yeah, it's probably true. Like, for a lot of you, like, life's hard. Like, and it's been hard, and we forgot how to have fun. What I love is there's a bunch of kids in the room to help us adults have some fun. So, kids, are you there? Say yes. Okay, so on the count of three, what I want you to do is I want you to scream as loud as you can. One, two, three. Good. Listen, I am convinced, I am convinced you can do better. I'm convinced, I believe in you. On the count of three, you're in church, so it's time to scream, okay? On the count of three, scream. One, two, three. You know, the, you know kids, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. You did a good job. Good, good job. Okay, so here's a question for you. We're going to show a picture here in a sec, uh, or right now. Have any of you ever seen this before, this medieval contraption? This medieval contraption, right? This middle, medieval contraption, you jam up your child's nose, and I don't know who invented it. I don't know where it came from, but apparently this is like the thing we use to get snot out of kids' heads, right? And we jam that medieval torture thing up into their nose, and then we squeeze down on it and let that stuff suck it right in there. And here's the thing. It's just very inefficient, in my opinion. Like, I got married when I was 21, had a baby at 22. My wife handed me our child, Ben, and said, hey, listen, he's got snot in his nose. Here's this medieval torture device that you need to jam up into his nose. Every time I did it, I'm like, this is not working. There has to be a better way to do this. And I remembered that we had just gotten a brand new vacuum cleaner because I saw this commercial. Or my five pound canister, strong enough to pick up a 16 pound bowling ball. A 16 pound bowling ball, right? This thing can suck that up. Imagine what it can do with snot. And so what I decided to do was to turn our brand new vacuum cleaner on and put it over my son's nose and just let's just see what happened. And so I did so. So I put it over his nose and I literally sucked all his brains out. It was like a really terrible, no, like his eyes were like this. My wife comes around the corner and she was like, most husbands have been here. 
What's wrong with you? Like seriously, what's wrong with your head? What's wrong with you? What were you thinking? I'm like, look how efficient this is. We're finally getting somewhere. This little torture device does not work. I found something so much better. And right now, the guys in the room, they're not saying anything because they've thought of this. Okay, they've thought of this and they're not admitting it. But I wanted to get something done. I was tired of sitting around with this inefficient thing doing inefficient medieval device when it wasn't really doing what I wanted it to do. Uh, a, a good friend of mine, actually one of my closest friends, he, uh, he runs a ministry in India. I can't tell you his name or the name of his ministry because a lot of what is happening in India is really, really heavy, really, really hard. But he has this quote, and it's been a guiding quote for me for the last 10 years, and it says this, everybody's doing, but nobody's getting anything done. Everybody's busy doing, right? Christians are doing a bunch of stuff. We're doing stuff. But are we getting things done? We're attending church, we're reading our Bibles maybe, praying maybe, tithing maybe, I hope, okay? So like, we're doing stuff, we're volunteering, we're doing good stuff, but are we getting things done getting things done you know what's really interesting about you right now is that you matter maybe that's just what you need to hear right now you matter to the kingdom of god you matter you were born for church history right now we are writing church history right now god sovereignly put the plan together and said yes you and you and you and you and you right now you matter right now, not in the past, maybe you matter in the future, but you matter right now, which means what you do right now matters to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and to our world and to humanity that's all around us that's begging for us to display the glory of God through who we are and what we do. But what defines a believer is not what they get done, and this is important, but who they are doing it for. Because if you're doing it for the Lord, the Lord will guide your steps. And what I find for so many Christians right now is they're stuck. They're stuck. The fears, the traumas, the pain, has just got us stuck. And we're being invited into a mysterious, beautiful, wonderful plan right now. You matter right now. Now, you are born for this time right now because God sovereignly put this into the plan and you were a part of it right now. And I hope that sets in as we go through this passage of scripture that you matter and what you do matters, but more importantly, who you're doing it for and why you're doing it matters tremendously. Okay, so let's get to 1 Samuel 14 and we're gonna go through 1 through 14. And it says this, one day Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to his armor bearer, come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of, Ge uh, of Gabe uh, Gabia under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were 600 men, uh, among whom was Ahijah, who was wearing the ephod, and his son Ichabod's brother Ahitab, son of Phinehas, and son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. On each side of the pass that Jonathan had intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff called Bozes and Senna. On one cliff was north of Michmash, while the other was the south uh, towards Geba. 
Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outposts of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in your mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, I am with you, heart and soul. Jonathan, Jonathan said, come on then, we will cross over them and let them see us. If they say to us, wait until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes that they were hiding. And the men, uh, the men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and his feet and with his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area about a half an acre. This is the word of God and everybody said? Amen. Amen. Thank you. Uh, a little background to this passage. Uh, Israel wanted to be like all the other nations. Even though God had said, I am your king, I am your God, and you are my people, and you will be a light unto the nations, the people were like, but all the other nations have kings that look like this, right? That have great abs, right? Look awesome, so studly, just like that beard that's barely a beard, but it's a beard. It's like, wow, so chic, right? They wanted that kind of king, a good-looking king. That's what scripture says. He was handsome, and the people were like, we like handsome things, right? So all the other nations have a handsome king. We want a handsome king. And so the Lord releases them to the desires of their heart. Romans 1. Oh, you don't want me, the king of kings, the lord of lords, the creator of all things. You want a human to make decisions on your behalf. And they said, yes, that's what we want. So he gave that to them. That's who they gave to him. And where do we find this human king? We find him in this particular passage sitting under a pomegranate tree with 600 men. Well, why? Well, what had happened was in chapter 13, Saul disobeyed God. He actually went before Samuel and made an offering knowing full well he is disobeying, dishonoring God, doesn't care. He was worried because the men were, were, were frantic and tell us what to do and they couldn't, make, they couldn't move forward until they made a sacrifice. So, so Saul just thought, well, like, I'll just go on, I'll just do it my way. I'll do my thing. And as a result of that, Samuel comes back to him and says, you have disobeyed the Lord. Your kingdom stops with you. You're, you're out. You're out. And so Saul's bummed about that. Not only that, but the Philistines are like numbering, like it said like sand on a seashore. They have no swords, no blacksmiths. There's only two swords in the whole country, and Saul has one, and Jonathan has one. Not only that, but all the Israelites are freaked out now at this point, and they're all hiding in caves except for these 600 men that are sitting with their king under a pomegranate tree. And do you know what Saul is having as he's sitting under a pomegranate tree? He's having a hissy fit, right? How many of you kids have ever gotten in a timeout? How many of you? Raise your hand. Oh, yeah, y'all better have your hands up, right? Some of you need a timeout right now? No? Okay. Uh, yeah, like... 
you don't, sometimes when you're in a timeout, you have a bad attitude, right? You're like, mom and dad don't know what they're talking about. Put me in a timeout. I didn't do anything wrong. And they start having a bad attitude. This is what Saul is going through. Hey, kids, do you know this? Do you know parents have a bad attitude? Sometimes we get a bad attitude. We get kind of pouty. Yeah, one kid was like, yes, I know. <laughs> you know, we get a bad attitude, kind of like Saul. Do you know what we get a bad attitude about? Do you know how, 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 how far down my 401k is? Do you, did you see gasoline prices? Can you believe so-and-so is in office and so-and-so is not in office or vice versa, whatever you want to do? Whatever political side you're on, oh my gosh, did you know we're in the middle of a recession or a recession is about to happen? Oh my goodness, a war, a COVID, a disease, you name it. You know kids that sometimes parents get like that? We get a little mopey. We get kind of like Saul, like I was talking about. We sit under a pomegranate tree and we cross our arms and we're angry, we're upset, we're frustrated because God didn't become who we wanted him to become. So like Saul, we just sit under this pomegranate tree and we just look to God and say, I'm just gonna wait here for you to do something. You better show up and do something miraculous, God. And I'm gonna wait here until you show up because apparently you don't know what's going on. You don't know how hard it is. You're detached from reality. And this is what I find is happening so often with believers right now. They become stagnant believers. And you'll identify a stagnant believer. Maybe you'll identify yourself in this. And this isn't a condemnation. This is just, let's be honest. A stagnant, uh, a stagnant believer just kind of sits, sits around and waits. Okay, God, do something great. Do something great, God. Come on. They complain. You want to know a stagnant believer? You know how to point one out in the crowd? They just complain about everything. Everything. They complain, they complain about presidents, they complain about policies, they complain about people, they complain about the church, they complain about their kids, they complain about their spouse, they complain about God. It's a stagnant believer, stuck. You know, when, when I was a kid, I loved milk, right? How many of you kids love milk? Yeah, that's right, but the milk game has stepped up. There's all kinds of milks now, like cashew milk, almond milk, you know, what are all these, what else are they, soy milk? When I was a kid, we just had milk, right? We, that's all it was, like milk, and it came from a cow, right? And we drank it, and we drank whole milk because that's how you do it, right? How many of you grew up drinking whole milk? And we were better for it, weren't we? Okay, so, and the cows are like feeling dissed at this point because they're like, a cashew? Seriously? Okay, so I drank whole milk as a kid, loved drinking whole milk as a kid. My mom tells this story about how I was, uh, I came up out of the basement. All right, kids, you up here with me? You, you look at me? I, my mom said, I came up out of the basement. Okay, when I came out of the basement, I was going like this, ah, like this. And she was like, what happened? And my tongue was green because I had left a cup of milk in the basement for a month and I found it and I drank it, right? And my mom said she called poison control. She thought I was gonna die. And I was just like, ah, ah, ah. It's so gross, right? Isn't it interesting how something that can be so good for you could potentially make you very, very sick? And I see that happening with so many Christians right now, overwhelmed by a culture, overwhelmed, inebriated by a fear-based culture that wants to tell you that you're gonna offend everybody, 
that you're gonna lose all your money. And if so-and-so doesn't get in office, then we're all done for. And everything's gonna end, and you're gonna lose everything. And so what do we find ourselves doing? We find ourselves sitting under the pomegranate granite tree with Saul going, I'm just gonna wait for you to do something. Because honestly, this has been pretty disappointing. It's been pretty difficult. You know how much I've lost? You know how painful this is? Where are you, God? If you mattered, if you cared, you'd intervene and do something. And so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna sit here under this tree I'm gonna wait for you to show up and do something miraculous. But until then, I'm gonna go sulk. And I'll lead other people in that sulking nature. Because I got a bunch of people who wanna follow after me, but instead they sit with me sulking through my example because I've been so held down by my situations. Meanwhile, meanwhile, Jonathan is showing us a different side, something greater. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer twice, this is now the second time, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in your mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. Saul sits under a pomegranate tree. Jonathan, his son, goes, something's not right about that. I have not been given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power. I've not been called to sit around while the enemy's against us, mocking our God, and go, we'll just wait. No, I've been given the spirit that says, move forward. Move forward in what I've called you to do. Move forward in faith despite the circumstances, despite how difficult, despite how crazy it may seem, I've been called to do something. I've been called to move forward by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and I'm gonna give you a word that's gonna change your life. I'm gonna give you a single word that's gonna change your life. He says, perhaps. Perhaps the Lord will do something. Isn't that the worst word you've ever heard of? Perhaps? No, 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 no. We, we can't have perhaps, right? Because in our culture, what? Perhaps means like, well, we'll see. Like, we'll hope. I hope I have luck on my side, right? I hope it all turns out. That's how we translate perhaps. No, 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 we need reason. You know what the Enlightenment told us in the 19th century? That we can kill God. That's what Nietzsche said. We killed God. We're gonna create our own utopia where we don't need God. We are self-sufficient human beings. We can reason him out of existence. How's that working for us? How's that working? Yes! That's why I love kids, man. Bad! You're right. It's not going good. But yet we keep still running down that road and this word perhaps is actually an invitation into faith. Perhaps means, I know who you are, God. I know you've not given me a spirit. I know I am uniquely created for this period of time in church history and that you have told me 365 times in the scriptures, do not be afraid. And so perhaps is an invitation to join God where he's moving and what he's doing. And Jonathan's like, Let's do this thing. Perhaps we'll live. Perhaps we'll die. But guess what? God's sovereign in the midst of both of those things. 
He's in control, not you and me. That's what perhaps does. Perhaps is an invitation into this faith-filled life where like it says in Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge who? Him, his path, his way, his plan. And what will he do? He'll direct your paths. And so we fast forward into Matthew 6.33 and it says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Why? Because it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about our reason. It's not about what we can conjure up, what plan we think is best. It's who he is. It's what he's inviting us into. And Jonathan knows this. And so he looks to his armor bearer and is like, maybe God's going to do something great. You want to see? Think about that. Think about that invitation that the Lord is giving to you right now. Right now. He's inviting you into something. Perhaps he's going to do something great. Perhaps it doesn't work out great. But either way, you're not in control of it. And Jonathan loves his odds because his odds are aligned with kingdom values. And he's, let's do this. And here's the cool thing. His armor bearer's like, I'm in. Let's figure this out. Let's go after it. And you know what I find so often for believers is this kind of dance we do with God. And I think he, he allows it but I think it's really toxic. It's like, listen, I'll move forward if you tell me the steps. And I believe a lot of you will. Like if God was saying, go move here and don't worry, your money will be taken care of and we can sell your house and you'll get a new one. Don't worry, you'll have enough. You'll have a, for your 401k, you'll be fine and you'll preach the good news. Like you, you'll go like, okay, I'm in. But when he doesn't respond to you, when he doesn't lay out that plan for you, you go, oh, I'm just gonna sit back here. And here's, I wanna make this really, really clear. Oftentimes, God won't tell you the next step because you'll worship the next step instead of trusting in faith in him. You, you'll want the next step more. You'll want the answer more than you want him and he wants you. And he wants you to want him, to follow after him, to experience the goodness and the glory of what it is to say, perhaps you're inviting me into something that I can't con comprehend and that faith-filled action will only encourage and grow you in your faith you will be discipled in that and move forward in that and i think so many believers are like saul waiting around for god to pave out the path for them when jonathan's like i got a plan let's just move forward in faith believing that god is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do and i want to be where god is I want to go where God wants to go. I want to do what God wants me to be. It's called a holy confidence. Have a holy confidence, a reverent confidence in the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so, as a result of this perhaps way of thinking, Jonathan lays out a plan for us. He lays out this plan, and the plan starts this way, okay? If this is your plan, and you're starting off this way, we're starting off wrong, okay? The plan is this. Hey, what if... We let the bad guys know exactly where we are. Hey, here we are, right? Like War 101 is don't tell the bad guys where you are. That's why we have the secret service, right? Right? We don't want them to know where we are. We're going to hide, and we have these strategies. And Jonathan's first indication of a plan is this. 
Let's tell them exactly where we are. Like we're in between these two cliffs and let's go, hey guys, we're right here. We're not hiding, right? We're not caught between a rock and a hard place. We are right here in front of you, right? And all of a sudden the armor bearer is like, oh man, maybe I made a mistake. Maybe I made a mistake. Maybe this joker does it. Is he really following God? I don't know. I'll see, right? And then Jonathan says to his armor bearer, Okay, I got another part of the plan. If they say at the top of the mountain that they're going to come down to us, I don't think this is going to work out. But, but, if all of a sudden they tell us to come up to them, then the Lord has delivered them into our hands. And I want you to know what he just said. The scariest, craziest, illogical plan is the plan that God is invited, is God is moving there. Why? Because it's not going to be about me. It's going to be about God. It's going to be a perhaps we live, perhaps we die, but at least we're participating in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, his plan and not mine. I don't, I'm not going to get the credit for this one. And so these Philistines are like, what a bunch of idiots. Hey, we see you, you morons. What are you doing? You know, I'm flagging us down. And they're laughing about it. Look, they've come out of the caves. They're showing themselves. And so they're like, watch this. You can almost hear them joking. Watch this. Hey, why don't you come up to us? <laughs> they will never do. Come up to us. And Jonathan's like, okay, perfect. Let's do it. Right? And he starts up here. And you can think at this point, the armor bearer's like, uh-oh, we're really doing this. Like, I thought we were just playing, right? I thought we were just joking. I thought this was really cool banter. But he's like, no, 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 come on, let's go, let's go. And they start walking up here, right? And then all of a sudden, there's this mysterious thing that happens here. Because you realize at this point, the guys with the swords, they've got all the swords are on top of you. Like, just easy. <laughs> but something mysterious happens at this point in the story that we don't know. All we know is that they moved to the very top and they conquered. They conquered these men. And here's what I want to tell you. This is a bad plan. This is a bad plan. Some of you are like, I know, get down. This is a bad plan. <laughs> this is a very bad plan. You need to get down. Do you know this? This plan that Jonathan came up with is a very, very bad plan. Very bad plan. But here's, I, I want to invite you into something. The Bible is full of very bad plans. Very bad plans. Like, check this one out. They leave Egypt, the Israelites, a million Israelites leave Egypt. They leave Egypt, and they head to the Red Sea. They get stuck at the Red Sea. Guess what they say? This is a bad plan. We need to go back to Egypt. This is not working out the way I thought it should work out. We need to go back. And what does the Lord say to the people? I am fighting behind you. I am making a path before you, and I am with you and they crossed through the Red Sea. That was a bad plan. You know the other bad plan? If you've read anything about Gideon, like Gideon, right? Gideon has 32,000, 32,000 men to fight a, a, an army that the scriptures say is like sand on a seashore. And God's like, you got too many guys. And what do you, what do you mean we got too many guys? You got too many guys. What do we gotta do? Oh, you gotta, you gotta get less guys. What do you mean I gotta get less guys? That's a what? That's a bad plan. How many guys? 300. That'll never work. Why? Because it's a bad plan. 
And what happens? We see this miraculous work that God does through 300. 300. How about Jericho? Jericho! They're at Jericho, the most fortified city in the area, in Jericho. And what does God tell Joshua to do? Hey, Joshua, all those weapons you have, all those strategies, all you have, you know what I'm saying? Like, go ahead and put all those down. What do you mean put all those down? I want to invite you in a really bad plan. What's that plan, God? Well, you're going to walk around the city, and you're going to sing some songs, and the walls are going to come tumbling down. That sounds like a bad plan, right? That's a bad plan, right? But we keep getting invited into bad plans. Here's another one. Like in the New Testament, Peter's in a boat in the midst of a storm. You know the story, right? He's in the midst of a storm, right? All the scientists, all the physicists are going like, stay in the boat. Like if you're in a storm, stay in a boat. That's a what? That's a good plan. A bad plan is to get out of the boat and believe you can defy physics by walking on the water. That's a bad plan. But what do we find Peter doing? Walking on the water. Connected with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Let me tell you another bad plan. The God of the universe coming as a baby, dying for a people who reject his power, his might. Hanging on a cross and saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do resurrecting in power and in commissioning and calling them to go do the same thing. That's a bad plan. But aren't you glad it was a bad plan? Aren't you glad that you were invited into this upside down way in which God operates to where human logic isn't the thing that moves things forward. No, it's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords doing a miraculous worth. And so what Jonathan does up here is he defies all that human logic says makes sense. Why? Because God was moving. God was acting. God is in control. And what happens next is this. A revolution happens. Because they kill these 20 men. They kill these 20 men and all the other men that are in the caves hiding in fear all of a sudden see that the power of God is moving through these faith-filled two who step up in this perhaps way of thinking, living in faith, run out of the caves and kill the Philistines against all odds. Right? Against all odds. That wasn't supposed to happen. Here's what happens. Faith leaks it leaks out. It sneezes on other people. And they want a bit of it. They want to know what it is to experience the goodness of God, the greatness of God that defies human logic. They want to be a part of something great, something bigger than themselves. They want to believe that there's so much more going on than what we can humanly rationalize in our brains. And that will only happen if you step into perhaps if you can get used to bad biblical plans. And I hope you understand when I say bad plans, I'm talking about the way that we as humans are so tethered to earth, tethered to our own thinking, our own rationale, and being invited into this beautiful plan that God has for us. Because here's the thing. God is most concerned with your heart. Where's your heart? Because your heart affects your habits. And I think so many believers are inebriated and stymied right now because you're afraid. You're waiting around 
sitting under a pomegranate tree, and many of you are just complaining, and that complaining is stagnation. It's a death to your soul. And the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is inviting you into this mysterious plan, which I want to make very clear, will not make full sense in your human mind. That's why it's called faith. And you are called a people of faith, a people of Yahweh, the God of the creation. And he wants you to experience all that he has for you. And other people will benefit from your movement of faith. It will affect you. So do you want to be someone who is stuck in despair under a pomegranate tree? Or do you want to take the hill in faith? Because what happens is when the church steps up to its rightful place in this world, people will come to know Jesus. And we will be who we've been called to be. But we honestly, right now, we are, we are, we are, we are known as a people of fear, of compromise. And it needs to stop. And you know that. I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm, I mean, mostly preaching to myself. Let us be known for who we say we are. Let's stop pretending. Kids, I want you to know something. All, my, all, all kids, up here, let me see your eyes. Let me see those eyes, beautiful eyes. You guys are so powerful. You're so important. And you matter. You know, sometimes us parents, we don't have it all figured out. We need your faith. Kids, we need your faith. You believe in God, and you show mom and dad, auntie and uncle, grandma and grandpa, you show us who God is in your faith. Sometimes we have to be reminded that we need to be cared for, that we need to be provided for, and you show that to us. So you be strong. You move forward in who God's called you to be. You are very important. You hear me? You're very important. Jesus said, let the children come to me, not because he was the sage, but because he believed in you. He believed that you are going to help us adults understand what it is to trust and depend upon a mighty God who is, in, who is in control, who is our Father. And you kids, you can show us that. Show us what it means to move forward in faith. Be strong. You can make a change. You don't have to wait until you get older. You can make a change right now. You can change your neighborhoods. You can change your schools. You can change your families. You are powerful, powerful kingdom people. Move forward in who he's called you to be. You got me, kids? You with me? You guys are important. You're so important. Don't forget that. You're not just little kids. You are powerful for the kingdom of God. And parents, we need to pay attention. We always think we're taking care of our kids. Don't forget who their daddy is. Don't forget who your daddy is. Don't forget that he loves you, that he cares for you that he's got you, and he's inviting you into this mysterious, beautiful thing. So the question we need to work through is this. Are, are you passive right now? Then it's okay. Just be honest. Stop faking it. Like, are we just passive? Are we not expecting that God wants to do radical, something radical in your life? Or are you active? Are you ready to experience a perhaps kind of life, a take-the-hill kind of life, a faith-filled life, do we make a de declaration to the world that we know who our God is and we're moving forward in him? You know, the, the guy I told you about before in India who's made a great impact from his, uh, in my life, the organization that he now runs, his mom started 50 years ago. 
She came to faith 50 years ago. Now, women 50 years ago in India were a commodity. They're just a piece of property. In fact, when an Indian man would die, a husband uh, would die, the wife would strap herself to the body and they would set both on fire. Because she only had value if her husband was alive. So 50 years ago, this woman heard the gospel of Jesus Christ in a crusade. And she believed that she was powerful in a country that told her she was nothing. And she did something, and this is going to be a little confusing. Maybe, kids, this will be a little hard, but in India, this is acceptable. But she put her two boys, the one who I talked about earlier, in an orphanage. And she would come back and visit, not like she abandoned them, to go share the gospel village after village after village. And 50 years later, hundreds of thousands of people have come to faith in Jesus Christ because one woman believed that she had power Power, wonder-working power in the blood of the lamb and that she could make a difference in her world. She believed she could change something, be a part of something, that God had inspired her, laid in her heart to live this perhaps type of life and he's doing the same thing for you and for me every single day. Will we accept this path, this gift that he's given to us? The father of modern missions, his name is William Carey. He was the one who translated the Bible into Hindi. And he says this, expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. This is what you're being invited into. We can no longer be a mockery of our culture. We need to step out in faith, believing in faith, that God wants to use each and every one of us for his glory in his honor. Here's what I want to tell you. I know you hear a message like this because I've heard it before and it feels all hype. It feels all hype, but ha haven't we come to understand that hype is hypocritical? We can get all hyped up, we can get all wound up here in a passage, and I love that. I, we should get, but what really matters is we go do something with it. Allow the Spirit of God to lead you in truth. As you hear his word, respond to it. Help change yourself, your family, in your neighborhood, your community, and he's going to use us in this time, in this age, for his glory, in his honor, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and his church said what? Amen. Father God, we love you, we thank you. Thank you for this word that you've given to us, this example to Jonathan. I am humbled. Humbled. May all of us be inspired to live the way you've called us to live. That we would fear not, that we would not be dismayed, for you are our God. Teach us, Lord, through your spirit to move forward in faith what you've called us to do. Be our hands, be our feet. Guide us and lead us. Pray that you would comfort hearts today. I know a lot of people are really fearful. It's really hard. They remind us that you've not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, and that you love us and you're with us. And you care so deeply for us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit.